It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 20th day of uh, November. October. And uh, No, October. I did that last <laughs> yep. week. This is the 20th day of October, 2015. We're here today with our co-host, Jay Basser, and our guest speakers today are Dr. Batch and John Dorley. Uh, and uh, it's always a treat having them on. We get so much good information there from them. Do's and don'ts. Uh, Dr. Bash, would you explain the difference between an IMO and an IME for uh, the veterans out there? It seems like uh, they're always asking uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, it, yeah. it's quite important. There is a good difference. And and, and now uh, DBQs have entered into the... Uh, the play. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Bash, we have lots so, of acronyms out there, right? Lots of acronyms. So um, the uh, IME, the E stands for examination, so independent medical examination. And that independent medical examination is really equivalent to the DBQ. So the DBQ is basically just kind of a, a uh, review of their medical problems from the file and also maybe from uh, examination. And there's no nexus part of that. So a lot of veterans will go out and they'll get themselves a medical examination or a DBQ and they'll think that their claim will be processed, but there's no nexus part to that. So that's where the O, the independent medical opinion, is really the opinion is really a nexus, a nexus opinion. And so that that can be done a lot of ways, and doctors don't know what they're doing. They won't really know what to do with the opinion part, but that that's the part, the nexus part that really really makes a difference. Like, so like the other day I was at the, I was at the BVA with the judge, and he was asking, you know, the patient questions, and then he just went to me and says, you know, Dr. Bash, is there a nexus here? And I just gave him my thoughts about what the nexus opinion was, and he'll probably grant that case just based on that nexus, because a lot of times the files don't have that nexus. They don't have the IME, I mean, the IMO part of the of the, um, of the claim. John Drowley knows about that too, right, John? You see that difference? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Bash. Uh DBQs certainly are important with respect to the claims. What, what I like to think we try to do is mimic what a compensation exam would deal with. But but you're right, uh, DBQs don't necessarily offer the opportunity to provide that that nexus or that that theory as to why a disability is either directly related to the military or aggravated by a service-connected disability or presumptive. So so Dr. Bash, that's where your medical opinions complement the DVQ so well, uh, and then I try to formulate all that together and and put it together in, in a way the VA likes to see it uh, developmentally, uh, whether it's an appeal or reconsideration or a brand new claim. There's a there's a little section on almost every DBQ. If you go to, um, you know, I put I put in a VA DBQ on the computer, and the first thing that pops up is called List by DBQ. And if you go to any of those any of those DBQs. Back on the first or second page somewhere, it'll say, it has a little thing that says, I'm going to read to you exactly what it says. 
it says VA use only, and then it says it says something like was a medical was a medical opinion uh, requested. You know, and that's that's what the VA the VA knows that the that the um, that the DBQ does not satisfy the requirement for nexus, and so they have that little that little box on there. And so when that little box is when that little box is filled out when the VA doctor does it on the computer, then a second set of pages shows up, and those extra pages are the IMO part of it, the nexus part. So if you look down those those DBQs, you'll see that little section that says VA use only. And that's kind of the part they're trying to trick, trying to trick the patient, I think, really, because that that should be part and parcel. Every, DB, every DBQ should have a, a nexus um, part to it. Uh, yeah. On those uh, DBQs, doctor, uh, is it pertinent that you fill out each and every uh, uh, section of that DBQs? Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny question. You should fill out each and every section that pertains to the patient's uh, rating. You know, the part that they're trying to claim. So the um, the, um, that's where the knowledge of the DVQ and the knowledge of the rating schedule and the knowledge of uh, how the VA work does the ratings, because um, the um, the um, the DVQ is there's only like 70 DVQs and there's um, 2,000 rating schedules roughly and there's 65,000 diagnostic codes in medicine. So the DVQs are really a shotgun, you know, really a shotgun approach to try and capture. All the stuff that might pertain to any of the two thousand, any of the two thousand readings. So, you know, if the guy's asking for an ankle, you know, and, and the and the DBQ is asking about his knee or his hip, or he's asking about a bunch of other stuff that doesn't apply to that specific thing that the patient has, or flat feet, is another good example. Then there's a lot of stuff that's superfluous on the DBQ that that I usually don't fill out because it's not really needed, and you know, it's not really part of the part of the uh, rating, and the rater's not going to really look at it. You know, if there's sections about the chest or the brain on it, some DBQ about the foot, they're not going to really look at it, right? John Drury knows about that probably too a little bit, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think that in in reference to DBQs, and just for the listeners, DBQ stands for Disability Benefits Questionnaire, and you can you can uh, put that into any search engine, and it'll take you to the website that allows you to review the DBQs by symptomology or name. Uh, just a side note for that, but but yeah, uh, Dr. Bash, a lot of those DVQs are a bit superfluous as far as uh, information that's either non-applicable or or just not relevant to the case. But uh, I guess uh, my opinion is, and I think Dr. Bash, your opinion is is also is it's always good to supplement medical opinions with DVQs because in the end, that's what the VA likes to see. Um, oftentimes. Uh, Adjudicator will still call the veteran in for a compensation exam. If anything, just to uh, review Dr. Bash's DVQs and/or medical opinions. And what I found is these compensation examiners are are uh, greatly aided and, and helped by Dr. Bash's medical opinions and DVQs. It allows them a structure to go by. It's very rare that you get a compensation examiner that will go against Dr. Bash's opinion. Uh, if they do, then they better be able to provide some factual medical evidence to do that, and most doctors won't do that. So so it's important to not only do an IME independent medical exam uh, supplemented with a DBQ, but also that IMO 
independent medical opinion to draw that nexus. Yep. Yeah, as a, a concrete example, I went to the uh, lumbar spine one, and on lumbar spine, uh, question question um, number number one D is, was it an opinion requested about this condition? It has a little parentheses, internal VA use only. That's what they're talking about, the, the nexus part. And the second part, while I was on that, I might as well mention that it says 2A is to describe the history. And there's only like a little half an inch space there, and veterans should attach something or put a big long lay statement in there because this is their chance on the DVQ to to put in you know the things that are that are pertinent in the history that relate to it. Because sometimes you know the, the raiders now are just going to the DVQ and maybe not looking at the file much because these DVQs can be sort of automated and they can push a button and pop out a rudimentary rating. So the the DVQs are important. I had a patient last week that had like five boxes of records and had very contemporary claims and um, and uh, and so I didn't really need to do a DVQ. That was all about the nexus because his five boxes of medical records really supplied all the information that you'd ever want to do on you know 50 DVQs. So it depends a little bit on the case, but John's right. A lot of these cases now, the DVQ goes along with my nexus opinion. Uh, now, I'm under what I'm understanding here. Uh, wouldn't you be better off to uh, attach an IMO to a DBQ uh, instead of uh, just a regular attachment or, uh, you know, extra page on it? Uh, wouldn't you be better to uh, attach uh, a regular yeah. IMO yeah. on that? Yeah, Dr. Bash, yes. So what I do is on the last page, of the, let's go back to that one we just looked at with the, you know, lumbar spine, on the very back of it has a little section that talks about remarks or comments. And so in that section uh-huh. I always put in there I always put in there um see my attached nexus opinion. So then the VA has to go find okay. the nexus opinion. Because the problem is that the D B Q is yeah, the D B Q is kind of freestanding and I always worry that if I do a nexus opinion the D B Q gets in through the fax machine and gets in the record and the D B Q might I mean the Nexus opinion might be somewhere else on the file because the way the VA the way the VA does these um, these electronic records now, they only have like five five little headings. As a matter of fact, I was talking to the BVA judge the other day about that, and he said the same thing. He said they get lost. These medical opinions and DBQs, not the DBQs so much, but the medical opinions get lost in the records because they, they might just show up as outside medical records. They might show up as as uh, historical records. They might be lumped in with a bunch of stuff. You can't find them. So I usually try and give them a pointer on the bottom part of the DBQ. And I think for my patients, it's not a bad idea to number of the pages, like number, you know, my nexus opinion, 1 through 5 or 10, and the number of the DBQ, 11 through 15 or something like that, you know, so that they can't get lost in the in the VA um, schedule and in the VA um, computer system. The other thing I do is on the top of the DBQ or on top of my nexus opinion, oftentimes I'll put that this is a VA exam on the very top. So then when the people who uh, put these things in categories will categorize it as a VA exam and then the the raiders and the judges will go after. They always go after their own VA exam. So that's some place I can put my my medical opinion so they can see it. That's a good idea. Yeah, well, that just makes sense that you would do it that way. Uh, to me, anyway. Uh, that's how, that happens in the civilian sector. I was talking to the doctors, taking care of my mom, and he pulled up all the records in the civilian sector, and he had. Same thing. He has these records that show up, and some of them are mislabeled. So he just sat there and relabeled them as he went through the file. So he had sort of a clean, 
uh, index of what was going on. So these electronic records are tricky because the um, the indexing, the sorting process can be um, can be confusing and stuff can get lost in the in the um, in the indexing. Doctor Bash. No, I was just going to say, Charles. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, uh, when it when it comes to VA records and indexing and things of that sort, I, I know that uh, it, it's been difficult for the VA. Sometimes, Doctor Bash, maybe you can attest to this. Will come across clients who are knee knee deep into an appeal, whether it's at the ALJ Agency of Jurisdiction or the Board of Veterans Appeals, and they've got five or six boxes of. Of, of records that are just discombobulated, they're all over the place, and and they were submitted left and right. There just wasn't any symmetry or any any recognition of of what exactly the claimant was trying to file, and so so I think it's important, certainly as an advocate in, in my capacity, that if if the listeners out there have a case that's, that's very complicated with multiple issues, and and you feel like uh, the the, wa- the waters are so muddy that uh, the VA isn't breaking it down properly. It could possibly be just a matter of developing the case in a way that's that's much easier for the VA to understand. So, so certainly, I, I think that's uh, that's a situation where uh, we can be an advocate for the veteran to actually go through a VA claims file and and pull out the most important parts. And if they need to be resubmitted in a in a better context, we can do that. That way, uh, you don't have EBQs floating around and. IMOs floating around and arguments and all kinds of things. But I guess that's what I was thinking a little bit as I was listening to the cases here. Yeah, I agree. The advocates are important. You know, um, the uh, these these records are big, and so I can make mistakes, and the advocate makes mistakes, make mistakes, and so. But between the two of us or three of us with a patient, you know, usually we'll fill the gaps. The um, I had a patient last week that was down at the BVA, and it was a large file, like John was just talking about. And the patient didn't have any, uh, didn't have any, advo- didn't have any advocates, so they just assigned her, just assigned her some advocate from one of the um, one of the veteran service organizations. So the advocate walks in, you know, the patient has this box of records, and I'd read it, and so the judge hadn't read it, the advocate hadn't read it, the advocate's assistant hadn't read it, the judge's assistant hadn't read it. You know, myself and the veteran, the only ones in the room that read the record, and cause it turns out there was a, there was a, you know, SSOC back six, eight years ago that made a decision and that SSOC didn't even read the record and missed like three three VA medical examinations that would support the claim. So the judge just looked at me and says, you know, was that, were those in the record? I said, yeah, I was the only one, you know, one that read it. And so I'm sure that case is going to go a positive way. But that's the, that's where John Doroy comes in and advocates come in because they can sit and read the record and I can read the record and the patient reads the record and hopefully we don't miss, you know, the big stuff. I know certain situations, Dr. Bash, if they come to me sometimes first, and uh, if it's a very complicated case and you've got three or four huge boxes of about 40 pounds and 5,000 pages, it allows me time to sit at my sit at my office and just go through it and make sense of it so that rather than them coming to you first and asking you to work a miracle and review the file, I can actually look at the file first and, and, and go through it and and partition certain sections off so that then when I come to you, and I've been working together for about three or four years now, when I come to you, I know exactly what you want to see and, and you know exactly what you want me to tell you, so it works pretty good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these things are tricky. These things are tricky. I had a guy last week with sarcoid, and, you know, sarcoid affects the lungs, but it affects other body systems, and he had had a claim historically for cataracts and glaucoma in his eyes, and they denied those, and it was important because he was at a lower percentage, and it would have tipped him over to a higher percentage. And so um, I looked around, and I found out that, you know, sarcoid involves the eyes and can cause glaucoma and cataracts, so that was a nice nice medical that I did, but then I wasn't sure how common that was, so I was talking to my eye expert today, and he goes, yeah, <laughs> that's really a pretty rare thing, but it does happen. So there's rare events in medicine that happen in these records, and there's lots of little loopholes in the records themselves as far as how the history goes. So it gets in little loopholes in the law, so you have an advocate on the law side, and you have me on the medical side, and so um, it, you know, it takes teamwork. So once once you do get all this information about how long does it take you to review it, of course I know that very on each uh, uh, veteran, but uh, uh, depending on their file, of course. But on the average, what does it take you to review it and decide uh, how you're going to approach it? Yeah, Dr. Bash, I try to do it in a couple of weeks. You know, I get bogged down sometimes, but, you know, I try and get them out. The um, the um, some cases, you know, like a guy will call me up and has an emergency board meeting the next day, so I got to try and jump on that. And, or sometimes we get these deadlines where they're really close. And one thing we do is we can ask for extensions. Like so, for medical opinions, most parts of the VA give 30 and 60 day extensions pretty easily. Back to the board again. Usually, what I do is I keep the board record open for 30 days after the hearing to put in more information. But usually, I get my stuff in a week or so. But um, it just kind of depends on the urgency. Some patients are sick. I get medical emergencies. So I get bogged down, but I try and get a couple weeks. Yeah, Dr. Bash, John Dorley here. I, I don't think I've ever brought a case to you that I haven't said that we have a deadline here that you haven't turned around timely. So, yeah, Gerald, in, in cases like that, a veteran has, has got a hearing coming up or has a deadline, nine times out of ten we're going to be able to get an extension or or what's perceived as a deadline, a hard deadline really isn't a hard deadline. It's oftentimes a soft deadline. So that gives Dr. Bash and myself a little bit more time to produce a quality IMO and IME and DBQs. But for the most part, if we have a hard deadline, um, Dr. Bash turns it around real quick. Sometimes what you can do, too, is you can I can do an opinion, kind of like a provisionary opinion like we do in medicine, where we think the diagnosis is this, and then and then do ask for testing, and then maybe get the patient to come in for uh, you know to fly in for an exam or I can fly to them or something like that, and then and then um, add like an addendum opinion to it, you know to beef it up that way. At least you don't miss the initial deadline. Yeah, them deadlines are important. I know you miss one, you're in trouble. Uh, this for me, this, this, well, this for the listeners out there, I always like, I always like artificial deadlines. So some guy might say, "Hey, Dr. Bash, I got a deadline the 30th of November." I say, "Like, make it the first of November or something like that," because I don't want to get up too close to those deadlines. Like, if I get sick or mail or power goes out or some storm, you know, we just want to make sure we have room. So I always have them, I always have them make some kind of fake. I think John Droy does that too. You know, gives me some fake deadlines so I can keep myself kind of on track. 
Yeah, yeah. I uh, I've been known to do that to you, Doctor Bash. So I thought maybe. <laughs> um, if I know something needs to be done by a certain date. I give you that wiggle room. Um, yeah. So. Now, how how are they doing now, Doctor, on the TBIs? Uh, uh, kind of changing the subject a little bit here, but uh, I know there for a while, uh, veterans were having a, lot, uh, a good bit of difficulty on TBI injuries, and uh, the VA was wanting to uh, classify them as personality disorders instead of what they really were. Uh, how best can a veteran prove up his uh, TBI injury? Well, you know, the VA you know, the VA's trying, you know, to do some stuff with TBIs and work on it, but it's a complicated area, you know. It takes a lot of neurologic training, and you have to have a lot of sophisticated testing, you know, MRIs and neural quant tests to try and see what's going on in the brain. And and so it's, you know, it's hard for them just to, to move the big ship around quickly because it takes a lot of training. So I still see a lot of cases come in where the, the guy was in blasting combat, combat and a lot of the guys will come in with hearing problems and they'll say, well, I was, I, had, I was in three explosions. And one fallacy that people think about is that they say that the patient didn't lose consciousness and since they didn't lose consciousness that they didn't have a TBI. That's really not right. You know, They can have a big TBI without having loss of consciousness, especially if they had multiple uh, blasts in succession, you know. So I had a guy last week that um, that was uh, in blast, and he he doesn't really remember. I said, "You lose consciousness." He goes, "No, I don't think I lost consciousness." But it's like, "What happened?" He says, "I don't really remember what happened before or kind of after the explosion." <laughs> so that's something called retrograde amnesia, where you forget backwards about stuff that happened around some kind of a contusion or concussion or TBI to the brain. So and his memory is really very poor, and headaches and a lot of the secondary things that go with TBI. So um. I think there's still a lot of TBIs out there that are, that are un, that haven't been surfaced yet and haven't been haven't been worked up. So I, almost every patient, every patient I see that goes that um, that um, was in combat, I ask them, trying to ask them about memory and things like that to sort out the TBI. There was a nice article that came out in the Military Medicine Journal that was talking about spinal cord injuries, um, and they mentioned in the article that 68% of the people with spinal cord injuries had an associated TBI. So um, it's very common. It's very common in this in this group of veterans. Uh, what about treatment? If you can't uh, uh, or start treating a TBI uh, injured uh, uh, patient here uh, right away, does that cut down on the long term effects of a TBI injury? Uh, I know that can follow you all your life, but can yeah. you reduce the the uh, amount of severity? Yeah, so, you know, the brain's pretty fragile. It's got a lot of neurons in there, trillions of neurons. And so when you have that injury, you'll bruise you'll bruise part of the brain. You might destroy part of the brain, but there's a section of the brain, like a penumbra, they call it a penumbra, a section that's, that's fragile that can either die or be viable again. And so um, after one of those bruises to the brain, you want to, do whatever you can to be healthy, you know, good nutrition and good sleep and, and um, you know, no drugs or alcohol that can damage the brain. And uh, even this idea of brain rest where 
or students will take you know, young students that have injuries in high school and they might even or college might even take them out of take them out of sports for sure, but also take them out of the classes maybe for you know a year, maybe six months or a year until headaches go away. So those kind of things can be a big deal because the brain, if the brain's bruised and it has to do a lot of work, you know, doing a lot of processing, it's going to be spilling neurotransmitters and it's going to be spilling kind of toxins that are, can be more damaging to the cells that are that are fragile. And then you know, then long term, we may get some new um, medications that can help with some of those memory problems. And, and then um, then there's a lot of adaptive things. Like we have a guy, have a patient who has big time TBI and went to the VA um, rehab and they gave him a special computer and special phone so that his whole life basically is processed through those two things. And then he uses a lot of sticky notes all over his um, refrigerator. And his landlord said he hasn't missed the, hasn't missed the rent payment in 10 years because he says, I asked him about that. He says, oh, it's all done on my phone. It's all automatic. It's all automatic. I don't know. <laughs> I don't miss anything because it's not uh, really think about it. Well, now that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. And some I could see need that service. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that because those TBI, those TBI rehab places that the VA has, are are good. You know, that's like spinal cord and TBI. They're very good rehab programs. So that's that's part of the that's part of the treatment is rehabilitation. Yeah, Gerald. Yeah, I, I would I would say from Gerald. I would say from an adjudicative side, from my end of it anyway. Uh, I know we've talked about this a little bit before. Is that I think a lot of veterans that are listening probably can can equate to this, that oftentimes uh, you'll have a veteran that's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, and they're rated for it. It can be rated for a pretty high, but uh, they're actually also suffering from TBI, traumatic brain injury, uh, and the VA has never rated them for it, or the veteran may have never claimed it. So um, it's important that veterans get rated for that. And what's even more important than that is, because I've seen it happen where, um, the VA will rate the veteran for TBI, but they'll they'll reduce the post-traumatic stress disorder because they were compensating them for TBI symptomology under that PTSD level. So what they'll do is they'll propose to lower PTSD down from 70 to 30, but they'll grant TBI at 40. So it's kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. So it's important that veterans are aware of that and, and to not allow the VA to do that. And, Certainly, that's something that I'm experienced with, and and can help with that too. Yeah, but having a TBI don't necessarily mean uh, uh, they can uh, should associate uh, PTSD with it. Although I can see that the two are separate issues, uh, they shouldn't be allowed to run them together. I wouldn't think, would they? Well, yeah. Uh, Symptomology is the same, and Dr. Bash, you can attest to that, but from what I've seen, a lot of the symptomology, one's a physical issue, bruising of the brain, obviously, and the other is more of a cognitive mental issue, but a lot of the symptomology is the same, and so the way the VA looks at it, it's double-dipping. You, you, you've got two diagnostic codes and compensating them double, so what they try to do is put it under the correct diagnostic code, and, and so it, sometimes it doesn't work too well for the veteran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know, lump, lumping versus splitting. You know, in the in the TBI psychiatric stuff, it all should be split. Um, in fairness to the veteran, you know, I had this discussion, you know, last year with John Brown, who's been on this show in the past, and he said, yeah, the VA, you know, he was inside the VA for years, and he said that the VA has a hard time with that because they don't really know, they don't really have the expertise 
the medical expertise, you know, on the rating board to, to sort those things out because, you know, the rater can't really tell whether this is psychiatric from PTSD or psychiatric from TBI. And so, like what John says, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll just lump it, lump it in the PTSD and hope that the veteran doesn't really, you know, understand the difference. Another reason another reason they lump it, from what I've seen in the years I've been doing looking at this, the main reason they do lump it together is to separate the TBI itself. There is a special monthly compensation involved with TBI now, which is SMT of SMC of T, and I think they're trying to avoid having to pay that. So yeah, oh. yeah, I agree. I agree with that, John. It's always important to uh, to watch the VA and 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 I, I certainly would never suggest the VA goes out of their way to intentionally deny claims. Although I wonder sometimes, but but I like to think at least nine times out of ten, it's just the VA trying to do the best job they can, and, and they just they miss things or they don't have the expertise in certain areas. That, as Dr. Bash had pointed out, it's really up to us. Dr. Bash and myself and other advocates and doctors that do IMOs to to help the VA rate these claims. Yeah, other parts other parts of the rating schedule lumping makes sense. Like, you know, we have a case of a guy that has some pulmonary disease and so you know, these guys that are exposed to these toxins can have bronchitis, they can have asthma and so sometimes you want to lump those together because they can be a you know, processed in one one organ system. You know, you have the the idea of the amputation rule where, you know, it's only one foot no matter how many diagnoses you have. So so if you take the amputation rule and apply it to the brain, then you would, would think that maybe you might want to lump things. But in the TBI uh, category, is a special category, and so those should always be split out. It's not, doesn't, the amputation rule doesn't apply. You have you know, several different types of codes for the brain you can, you can apply kind of simultaneously. Now, with the TBI, you don't necessarily have to have brain lesions, do you? No. I, I know that would be a strong indicator that, yeah, uh, in, this individual has brain lesions, uh, and he was over there where he, he, you know, was knocked out or whatever, uh, hit some heavy uh, concussions. Uh, so, uh, yeah. but it don't necessarily leave a brain lesion, does it? No, that's right. You know, the brain has, like I said before, trillions of cells, and we're able to image, you know, thousands of pixels on the MR scanner, so we're really not really kind of taking a sledgehammer as far as imaging goes to look at the cells. We're getting better. Imaging is getting better, and we have some new things with tracks and this neural quant we talked about before was the global brain scan that may help us look at atrophy that's out of proportion to their age based on their traumas. But no, it doesn't. They don't have to have a positive um, MRI scan. So that makes it proving up a, a, uh, a TBI even more difficult for the veteran. Uh, I bet you that equipment's not cheap. <laughs> well, well, Dr. Bash, Dr. Bash, I was just going to ask you a medical question. And from a layman's perspective, what is the... What is the understanding of how much of the brain do we really understand? Is it five percent of it, or what's your theory on that? Um, what's your question exactly, John? As far well, as I'm, what, I'm just wondering. You know, the brain is such a unique organ, and and uh, as laymen, 
people out there, you know, we listen to studies, and, and sometimes uh, doctors will throw out the fact that we really only understand maybe 5% of what the brain's capacity and function is like. Uh, is that fairly accurate? And if so, that would attest to what we all really understand about TBI. Yeah, the, uh, I don't know about the percent, but, you know, the brain's complicated, and uh, we don't really know the denominator. We don't really know the numerator for that percent. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, but um, right. and uh, you know, if you see any dynamic imaging of the brain, like when you see the neurons firing, and um, you start to realize there's a lot of stuff that's interconnected, and so you know, if you lose one piece, so the problem, you know, the problem with the brain is if you lose one piece of something, then there's a lot of compensatory things that take over, and so um, you can lose things and not even know it. We can't, we can't test it, and the patient doesn't really know it. And so it's just very complicated. So I think that I think that's why the VAs, in their wisdom, that's why they give that whole whole section on TBI. And I have the SMCT now because they realize that there's a a lot of the brain we don't understand, and so they're trying to you know compensate veterans for that loss of intellectual functioning, or maybe memory, or maybe some you know um, psychiatric happiness or depression, you know, all that stuff that is kind of nebulous that you can't measure. They're going to try and help compensate some way. I can see it being a major issue for a lot of veterans. Uh, PTSD is bad enough, but uh, you go into uh, traumatic brain injuries, and I think you're talking a different category, even though they could run into each other. Uh, you know, it seems like that's happening too. So it's a complex issue. Yeah, I got something on a different topic real quick while we're while we're talking. Agent Orange. Go ahead. Agent Orange Go ahead. on the um on the uh once again military medicine it's another journal thing I was running through it's July two thousand fifteen. But they had they had an article about C one twenty threes, which were the planes they used to spray the Agent Orange. And uh the veterans were saying that maybe these these C one twenty threes were still contaminated, you know, twenty years after they got done spraying them and they did a they did a review of the planes and they found that they were that even 20 years after, 20 years after the, uh, or maybe even more than 20 years, they still had levels of contamination that were outside the normal. So that's just a little one-off thing that was in this journal that I thought would be interesting. So anybody serving those planes during that 20-year period should be an automatic presumption for agent order exposure, even yeah, up to really? the 80s. 90s. Yeah, and even yeah. later, even later. And so yeah. you know those helicopters, because you always have those veterans that say they were in helicopters or they're in the planes that was sprayed them or. You know, in the exposure, but this is a nice article that showed that it was lasting for a long time. You know, of course. Now, what about the what about Pensacola and uh, and uh, Wright Patterson? Some of those planes are in those museums. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it might be right. You might be right. It might still be stuff lingering. Somebody's got to go. Exposed now, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go do a. They got to do the survey and see what's in there. <laughs> Just in a, I was there the other day. I don't get my claim ready. <laughs> <laughs> now you're thinking. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> nope, that's true. Yeah. That is a true story. So that kind of talks about how the VA ratings can change over time because as medicine improves and we get more data, 
some of those old claims that people have denied or didn't think were valuable become, you know, real from a medical science standpoint. That's from a VA standpoint because that, that new data becomes new material evidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real point of claim, so it's a good deal. It's a real good deal. How's the success front, Dr. Basher? Are you still taking names and kicking the backside or what? Well, yeah, you know, it's good. You know, the VA, the, the um, and I saw they just lost that new chief, that old chief of uh, benefits, you know, and uh, and you see if you look at the if you look at the claim backlog, you know, the backlog's been sh- has been shrunk, but um, on my side, I see that as um, you know, I see these denials starting to show up without any sort of without any evidence. Like I had a guy that might have you know 15 years of back pain and surgeries and so on, and then the VA gives those little box denials with three sentences that said it wasn't related to service. You know, they don't talk about my opinion. They don't talk about the literature. They don't talk about the imaging. You know, so um, I think the seems to me like the denial rate's kind of up right now because they're trying to clear all those backlogs. Well, maybe John John Droy can talk about that. <clears throat> yeah, it, it really seems to, now that I've got my feet wet with dealing with VA regional offices all over the country for the past four years, it it really varies by different VA regional offices. Sometimes they these adjudicators they'll they'll adhere to uh, precedent opinion of Moore versus Dewinsky, which in nutshell uh, details that any denial uh, the VA needs to go into detail as to the evidence uh, considered pro and against, and, and provide rationale or explanation as to why. Uh, our evidence wasn't probative enough, and, and you just don't get that a lot of times with initial rating decisions throughout the country. They just basically say denied in a couple sentences. And I, I will say, though, once we file an appeal and notice a disagreement, uh, the statement of cases, for the most part, will go into the detail that we need in helping us understand why the probative value we, we submitted was not uh, enough for a grant. It's likely if not reasonable doubt, those types of things. What I've found a lot of times is when we force their hand under that more feed Dwinsky, uh, they take another look at it and, and they say, well, Dr. Bash's medical opinion is probative enough, so oftentimes the DRO will grant in our favor. So I, I, kind of a long answer to a short question, but but uh, what I'm finding is, is different VA regional offices uh uh, kind of, kind of run their own way when it comes to certain claims. Yeah, I think we were asking about win loss, you know, win loss rate, but you know, those, the win loss rate goes all the way up to the level of the board and so on. So, I think we're still winning a lot of cases, but like John says, those early decisions out of the regional office are just kind of rubber stamping those and trying to decrease their backlog on those. And then what's happening is it's causing us to have to do a lot more appeals and get those SOCs and SSOCs and then. You know, CUEs, and it's it's just probably you know exploding the appeals process. Yeah, it's taking longer time too. So it's kind of an interventional delay method on their part. It shows that they're clearing the backlog, but it also shows the appeals backlog increasing, and it costs and the veterans' time weight's increasing too because it's got to wait two years to see the BVA now. So yeah, yeah, that's the process is ongoing, gentlemen. That's the situation yeah, normal. Well, there's a lot of claims out there, and you can't make them evaporate in one year. Mm-hmm. Folks, I want to interject something during this. Uh, you got these two gentlemen right here, 
who devote their lives into doing this for the veterans. Uh, I've seen Dr. Bash take some steps that uh, you know that no other doctor would actually take that I know. And John Dorley, I mean, this guy's this guy's taking some steps too. You know, he's uh, what they do. They're an outstanding team. They work well together. And uh, if you need some representation in a claim, and you need to. A doctor that's going to give you an IME, and that, you know, as long as your evidence substantiates your condition, you know, he'll he'll go to bat for you, and they'll go they'll go as far as it takes to get your claim situated. I've seen them in action, so. Yeah, I want to put a plug in. I want to put a plug in for our, our secretary. You know, McDonald is doing a great job, as near as I can tell, with what he can do with the tools he has. You know, so if we have cases that are getting bogged down or whatever, he jumps in or has his staff jump in and try and. Um, Take care of the administrative hurdles anyway for us. Yeah, we lost a good one last week. So. Hickey, uh, what about Hickey resigning? Wilson uh, uh, Hickey is that going to? Of course, we don't know who they're going to replace her with yet. I don't think. I'm, I'm not sure, but it seems like she's just starting to see the light and turning around and rendering some assistance to. Uh, uh, I know a lot of ad members there had gotten favorable responses from her. Um, yep. uh, is this going to be turn into another nightmare for the <laughs> veterans? Well, I think, you know, Gerald, I hope not. Oh. Good, John. I, I was just going to say, uh, Gerald, I hope not. I what Gerald what Gerald's referring to is Under Secretary Allison Hickey uh, recently resigned uh, immediately. About two or three days ago, um, she was under fire. I don't think anything's been proven, but certainly she was under fire to to resign. There were some issues. You can read about it. I won't go into detail, but I will say from an advocacy side, and I've always said this, since I started in 1992, I've never had a team such as McDonald's and Hickey go to bat for these veterans like anyone else. And that's not to say past secretaries and undersecretaries haven't been effective, but um, I feel like, for my part, I lost a true advocate with, with Allison Hickey. Now, I can't condone any allegations of, of what led to her resignation. Certainly, if they're true, uh, she should not be in the position she was, but, but I can say for certain that she's been very effective with specific and special cases that I brought to her in her case. So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the positives outweigh the negatives, and I wish she she was able to stay, but but she's gone now, and so certainly uh, Secretary McDonald is is going to be continue to be an advocate for veterans, and I don't know who they're going to replace uh, former Undersecretary Allison Hickey, uh, but I I I believe it'll be someone just as effective, hopefully. Yeah, Doc Bash. I've been I've been in the, in the in the VA headquarters building and pounding around DC for a while and you know I think that McDonald's really making a big effort to help process these claims you know and he, there's a real sea change when he showed up because he started telling his staff in the central office to start processing claims and start to you know he made made it clear that everybody had to start working at whatever level they could so I don't think that uh, with one person leaving that that's going to change his his modus operandi and I think the next person in line is going to be you know working as hard as he can to get it done and. You know, the secretary, I just saw in my little Paralyzed Veterans magazine, showed up at the Paralyzed Veterans National Convention last week or last month. And so he's going out, seeing veterans groups and going to hospitals and making his presence known wherever he can. It's good. 
Well, that, that's good. Let's hope that they get someone in there who'll do as as well as Allison Hickey has been doing. So. The other, thing, the other thing, the problem is the training, is the training, is the training time. You know, because it, it took Hickey a while to figure out because you know, it's a complicated deal, and most of these people that get these jobs are, don't really know, know the VA or have done any claims work or, or um, understand rating schedule or medicine or any of that stuff. So, you know, it takes a while to ramp up. So maybe even if they use the deputy, it might be a good person, if, you know, if they can keep moving forward. Well, it won't take us long. We'll soon find out. Yeah, I have so a feeling. Wish her well in her endeavors because she's been very helpful, especially folks on had it. She's been very helpful. So, you know, whole thing well, works out for Well, she's kind of turned around, you know. Uh, before, she wasn't too well-liked and, and uh, uh, was really bad-mouthed a lot, and then she done a turnaround, and, and all of a sudden, things started happening. I mean, the uh, claims, uh, this backlog started being reduced, and, and uh, you know, the VA was sitting on a lot of things that they shouldn't have been, and instead of passing it on and getting it out of the, out of the system. And she got that moving a little bit. I, I really take my hat off to her. We've got a Veterans Coalition meeting here next month, and I want to have a little. Got a couple senators coming in. One's on the committee, so we'll have a little chat with him and see what happened. Well, you can read about it. You know, yeah, I, yeah, it's uh, yeah. A couple politicians went after her pretty hard. The head of the American Legion went after her pretty hard. And when you get that yeah. kind of pressure, she really had no choice. And. I'm not condoning anything that she may or may not have done, but when you have that kind of pressure, she had no other choice but to step down. Yeah. Well, they were wrong in their in their attributes because the actual case that uh, they were discussing was uh, due to a couple of people that were that took lesser jobs and moved. And anytime yeah. you take a reduction within working for the federal government, that move is not governed by the VA. That move is governed by the Office of Personnel Management. Any money spent in that is taken care of by the Office of Personnel Management. So there's limits of benefits they get. So, you know, that was a, uh, that was a witch hunt, folks. That was a witch hunt. Yep. Yep, just be careful what you ask for, because who knows yeah. who's going to replace her. Yeah, so, well, hopefully she comes. She, she might she might still come out ahead, though. We'll see. I think she's got some good legal terms she can go with. So Dr. Bash, you, uh, you also, you do a number of medical opinions, and, and I know you, you, you're kind of a, you get around a little bit. You fly all over the country, so uh, it's always possible that some of these veterans may be able to uh, meet you in their hometown, too. I know you've done that before. Is that still uh, possible for you? Yeah, I do that. I move around. I mean, my mom lives in California, so I go out there and see her. She's Ill, elderly and ill. So, for example, next week I go out there. Anybody wants to know, I'm going to be out there 23 through 30 um, October. But um, San Francisco area, but so I'm gonna meet three or four patients out there, 
talk to him about their cases. So, yeah, as I move around a little bit, I go to Minnesota. You know, John's up there, and so I see, see some patients there. Yeah, I move a little bit. So if anyone wants to know, uh, do you post it anywhere what your schedule's going to be? I'm flying out to Milwaukee or, or Washington, D.C., and I'll be there such and such days. Uh, uh, do you post that anywhere? You know, I, you know, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that, but uh, it's not a bad idea. I could think about maybe something on my website, huh? If somebody's close by. I usually, usually just field my phone calls and put them like a little pile, like, you know, Minnesota, California, wherever I'm moving around, and I just—it's amazing when I start to move. It seems like people call me just fortuitously, <laughs> but it would be—it might be helpful. <laughs> might be helpful too. Um, yeah, but does that. it need to be, Doctor Beck? Don't it need to be an uh, airport that has a direct out of out of your location? Because you don't really oh, want yeah, to you know, I, use a, I use a wheelchair, you know, and every transfer is hard and chairs in and out. So I try to do nonstop flights. It's also good because I can. You know, those those nonstop east west flights are five, six hours so I can work on you know, work on a case it's like a library and take my laptop and you know, papers Do you usually fly commercial? Yep, yep, yep. Commercial airlines. <laughs> get myself a window He's seat. Better. Get myself a window seat somewhere in the back and work on Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, you're always the last person to arrive, Doctor Bash. <laughs> yep, last off the plane. I tell you a trick, a little trick that's good on the, good on the jet because they have those, um, you know, have those little fold-down tray tables that don't work so well. Yeah, it's because they're too tight or whatever. So I, I have these little, um, little covers that they use for Apple computers. Those little uh, black fold-up covers, with a magnetic. Yeah. If you take two or three of those and put them together, um, you can make yourself a nice little tray table. And then put your computer yeah. and your papers on that because it gets white. You can make it as wide as you want. You know, three or four of them together. It's an interesting yeah. little trick that I picked up. Yeah. And you, when you get on a plane, do you stay in your wheelchair or do you change the seat? Yeah, I change the seat. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes it easier. Now, if you were traveling with oxygen, uh, I don't think you're on oxygen, are you? No, no. Okay. Uh, do they make? I wonder if they make special arrangements to travel with oxygen. Um. Yeah, you can go. I think I've seen people. Yeah, I've seen people on the plane. Yeah, they have oxygen. You know, they have oxygen at altitude too. If somebody has a heart attack, they can pull it out. So I think that's. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm sure they have oxygen on the plane. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know if they let you take your own oxygen tanks on there or not. Mm. Spooky as they are, they stay in age. Oh yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but it's like they should. They should be able to. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes they don't well, You know, I guess you could take a concentrator on with you if you wanted to. Uh, yeah, It'd probably easier. A small yeah. one, you know. Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, those oxygen tanks are pretty dangerous. They've caused a couple of plane crashes. Yeah. Yeah, well, they have 
Yeah, well, back in the 70s and 80s, they used to use a chemical regeneration process, oxygen. It's similar to the Navy's uh, firefighting OBD2 suit, which is a canister. Those canisters, you know, you would puncture it, and it would kind of burn, and it'd get hot, but it would produce oxygen, and you could breathe in, in like, a smoky situation. So a lot of them old plane designs had that same type of system, and uh, they had a couple of them that were actually put inside a cargo hold of a plane along with a uh, spare tire, and uh, one of them things went off, and uh, they're supposed to be capital that couldn't go off. One of them went off, cut the tire on fire, and the plane crashed. Y'all remember that? So that's why they started bucking. Yeah, they started bucking against auction on that because it caught on fire, and everybody was, you know, it was because a bad situation. A lot of people died, so yep. they kind of frowned. That was Eastern Airlines, I believe. That was before, they, before their downfall. I think the plane crashed in the Everglades, to tell you the truth. Oh, you're talking Dr. about... Dr. Bass! One of Florida. Yeah. Uh, uh, it wasn't Eastern, uh, Dr. Bass, do you uh, see your clientele picking up? I mean, uh, I know you're probably swamped uh, with uh, requests to do IMOs or IMEs. Uh, is that increasing any? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I can only answer the phone so many times and so many emails, you know, so I kind of have a saturated level of work that I do. And, so I don't know how many people are waiting out there to try and get to me, but um, I have always have people that need my help. I just I know. And Dr. Bash, uh, you and I have talked before that uh, you've allowed veterans to contact me directly to get to you. I know you you get swamped, yeah. and so of course I yeah. do as well. But, but I'm I'm more than happy to uh, act as a go-between uh, before the show ends. Be happy to share my phone number and email. Yeah, do it now, John. Do it now. Yeah, go ahead, John. Uh, yeah. that, email, just as it sounds, benefitsagent at comcast.net. That's benefits, plural, agent at comcast.net. Phone number, area code 651-303-3062. That's 651 303 3062. I'll be happy to do a, a review, analysis of your issues with the VA, and and uh, if it's a situation where we think Dr. Bash can help, we can we can get that going too. Yep, Dr. Bash, I'm just drbash at doctor.com, drbash at doctor.com. My phone number stuff's in there, or you can just Google, you know, Google Craig Bash, and you'll find me too. Yep. Or veteransmedicaladvisor.com. <laughs> Yeah, veteransmedicaladvisor.com, my website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's a good read, folks. Just go on Dr. Bass's website and just look at some of the articles and blog and stuff on there. It's a enlightening situation when you read that stuff. You know, it kind of gives you some vigor. You can reach out. And Dr. Bass will help you get your claim done. If you've got a valid claim, the guy can help you. And... Uh, of course, he's in, I guess he's, he does, you do PTSD claims and that only starts bash. Don't you have some help doing those? Well, yeah, the, yeah, I've got, I've got some people, I'm not a psychiatrist, you know, and so, um, depends on the case. Like, I can't make a diagnosis of PTSD, and, but I can talk about the nexus and get the ball going, because sometimes patients can't afford to pay for a psychiatrist, you know, so I can kind of get it going a little bit in the right direction, and then the VA has to do some work, but the, um, 
but I have some other people that we can get a hold of that can do, you know, evaluations for that. Um, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, the psychiatrist can help us with the TBI too, because they can help sort out the TBI versus psychiatric thing. So it, it's you know, there's a teamwork. You know, with TBI, you mentioned earlier, Dr. Bash, about the TBI uh, could result in spinal cord injury, which uh, I don't know why I didn't think about that before, but, you're, you know, uh, I guess that that's kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, um, no-brainer, no pun. Yeah, so, you, if you had, so say if you, yeah. had a cantaloupe, say if you had a cantaloupe on a rope, you know, and you swung it around and hit the rope against the door or the wall, and, you know, the, the rope's like the neck, so the neck's going to have an injury, and at the same time the cantaloupe's going to hit the wall or the floor, and it's going to have an injury too. So those, you know, the head and the neck are kind of just hanging out there in the breeze, really, to be, you know, injured, like yeah. you fall on your back. And so those, those injuries, there's all kinds of articles that talk about neck injury associated with head injury and head injury associated with neck injury because they kind of go together a lot. And so whenever I see one of them, I always start asking about the other one because they're, they're, you know, like kissing cousins. Yeah, especially yeah, compression injuries. That, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you could have spinal cord injuries, and uh, uh, and that could be associated to a TBI. Yeah. So, so guys, when, when the veterans are, are listening to this program and they wonder, well, that's all well and good, but what can what can these ratings do for me? Uh in a nutshell, we only got about a minute left, but uh, you're talking, in many cases, 100% service-connected permanent total, uh, which will pay at least about $3,300 a month, month. And if we're talking special months of compensation, it goes up even higher than that. And even more important for some veterans is oftentimes you're going to get free health insurance for your dependents as well as free education assistance uh, and a lot of other state Department of Veterans Affairs benefits. So... If you feel you're entitled, but you don't want to do it for yourself, uh, do it for your dependents. Yes, do it for your family. And, uh, and remember, if you give John Dorley a call and, and uh, uh, you know, let him walk you through the process, and, and he'll he'll refer you to Dr. Bash if he feels you need to, Um if you, know, you can't, folks, you know, if, if you're on had it, you can't, uh, don't remember the number to contact me, just shoot me a PM. I've got access to both of them. Yeah, uh, and uh, you can reach them. I think you're you're there on had it too, John, aren't you? Well, yep. you and Dr. Bass, Bass both are on had it, so. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, folks, don't forget, go to had it. You got some issues? Go to add it. Uh, you can get some answers there. That's right. John, I think we're about out of time. We got about forty-five seconds, Joe. Let's go ahead and shut her down. Let's get let's let's, let's take this thing to the barn. You want to? <laughs> okay, Doctor Bass, I sure appreciate you coming on. You and John Dorley. You're welcome. And, uh, uh, you guys are welcome back anytime. Uh, you always give out such good information. I mean, seriously good in- information. And and uh, we all know there's veterans out there that need help. And so that's what we're we're about. <laughs>
and uh, folks, go to com. Don't forget them. And uh, remember, they have a donate button if you feel up to it. Uh, donate a dollar or two to add a website. They'll appreciate it. They'll keep the site going. And with that, this will be Gerald Cook with Jay Basser. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Master Show. Thanks, guys. Hey, John. Did you get the... Uh, uh, that's if you yet? No, in fact, I um, they're still trying to get it. I talked to texted Tammy this morning, and she still hadn't gotten mm-hmm. it. So I know they'll get it to me right away. Um, mm. so. All right. They typically they right. take four to six weeks, but if it's a rush, uh, you know, they should get it sooner. It's been eighteen it's been three days, weeks almost. So. All right. Well, Ridiculous. let me talk to Gina. If I've got it, then she can't get a hold, get her hand on it. Then there's a chance I might better run there and get that thing for her. It's only an hour from here. So the claim's ready to go. I plan on faxing it and certified mail overnight it at the same time and mm-hmm. give it a few days to process, and we'll get McDonald on it and get, get Gene that retro. That's right. She's up in age herself now. Oh, wouldn't that Good be deal. a shitter if yeah. So, all right. Because if she something happens to her, it's it's lost. So. Yeah, she's she's not that bad health. Oh, she's, she's not that bad health. Oh, yep. she is, buddy. <laughs> you know, she was talking to <laughs> that bank the other day. <laughs> oh, Christ! The bank manager. She she says that 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 bank manager. I don't like her. <laughs> Oh, they tell you they treat her like crap. I mean, every time she went to do something, they treat her like crap. So I told her, uh, you know, I told her, I said, you have them call me, and yeah. um, I'll, I'll explain what's going on. I, if I get the slightest whiff that she she disrespects anyone, I'll, I'll talk to the bank president if I have to. Yeah, that's right. I will All right, too. Guys. All righty, guys, have a good Thanks. one. All right. Bye.